0: children make their way out to Cathedral Kids, let us pray for them, for all of us. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, empty vessels, needing your infilling. We need, Lord, for you to pour out your blessings upon us. We ask you, Lord, to pour out your Spirit upon us that we might receive from you uh, and through your Word. Come, Holy Spirit, come and Fill this place, fill each one of us to overflowing, and Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your truth, spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please be seated. Well, a blessed second Sunday of Christmas, the last day of Christmas, 12th night, and Um, And also a very happy new year to you all. And um, it's interesting, whenever we do have a a second Sunday uh, of Christmas, the psalm that is always appointed in our lectionary is Psalm 84. And Psalm 84, I think, is the perfect psalm to be read right at the beginning of a new year. And here's why. It's kind of a a psalm that, that captures a sense of of newness, of of a a new perspective, a new day, a a new dawn uh, emerging. Um, I don't know about how many of you actually do the whole like staying up till midnight, watching the ball drop and and all of that, blowing little funny horns and wearing funny hats and stuff like that on New Year's. Um, Some might argue it's a little overrated. Um, But regardless of what you do, I think this is fair to say. I think most all of us see the, the the turning of a new year as as kind of an opportunity for recalibration don 't we i mean we we come into this this season this this day with this mental recalibration as the calendar turns from one year to the next, and so we 'll do stuff like we 'll make a list of goals we might call them resolutions or we We'll have a special meal, right? In the South, we, we always want to have Hoppin' and John and collards and cornbread and pork, and that'll somehow, by eating those foods, attract to us prosperity and wealth and, and good fortune and all that sort of thing. Now, <clears throat> we're Christians, right? And We know it's a delicious meal, especially if you put lots of pork into those collard greens, um, uh, but of course... It's just superstition, right? But we still do it. We're trying, we we see something is starting here in the new year. Why do we do all this stuff? Why do we look to a new year with this kind of yearning, this expectancy? Well, I reckon it's because we know that life in this fallen world is so often a struggle. It's tough. And if we look back on 2019, yeah, there's some good stuff, but we kind of remember the hard stuff. And we're so thankful for a, a blank slate, a tabula rosa to, to work from. Uh, um, and uh, we know that if last year was the way last year was, this year we'll probably have some of these same kinds of difficult uh, times, these forces working against us as we are trying. We really desperately want to paint a beautiful picture on that canvas of the new year. And I certainly am entering 2020 with that kind of desire in my heart to to paint a beautiful picture. I'm sure you are too. But you know what I really want? What I really, really want, and this is why I think Psalm 84 is so helpful at the turning of a new year, what I really want, not just for me, but for all of us, is to be full of delight, Delight in the coming year and years. So, I don't know about you, but I find that it is so easy to lose delight. And I'm going to just confess to you, all friends, that has been my greatest sin over the last year. My 2019 was a pretty hard year, a lot of hard stuff in 2019 for me personally. And I found, I have found that I just haven't delighted in much. that's not okay right it's so easy for me probably for you as well to be caught up with the cares and the concerns and the slights and the disappointments and all those hard things of this mortal life of ours and we can lose all sense of delight and our days are instead spent filled with anxiety and offense and discontent, right? And let me be clear, I'm not interested in some kind of saccharine, saturated, Pollyanna-like pleasantness. That's not delight. I don't want just to be delightful, right? I want genuine delight. Maybe the word is rejoicing rejoicing in life so how do we get that well it's not I'm afraid to tell you it's not by ticking off resolutions on a list as helpful as that may be and um, so let's just face it the only way to get it is if we eat the right meal on New Year's Day (laughs) that's it and so if you didn't get it I'm sorry to tell you it's gonna be a rough year for you no just teasing no it is through, first and foremost, I would tell you, it is this way. Here's how you delight. It's by delighting in the one who is and, and will and will always delight in us. Right? He has, he is, and he will always delight in us. I think that is what the psalmist teaches us here in Psalm 84. So you can do one of two things. You can either turn to that psalm that we just read together in the bulletin or you can turn in the Pew Bibles to page 493 And find Psalm 84. If you brought your own Bible, feel free to open it to Psalm 84. That's kind of where I'm going to spend most of my time here this morning. Psalm 84. And so, more specifically, what the psalmist shows us is that this delight that we're talking about here is, first, exceedingly great, second, always possible, and thirdly, ever-expanding. That's what real, genuine delight is like. It's exceedingly great, always possible, and ever-expanding. So in the heading of this psalm, Psalm 84, at least in your, in your Bibles, uh, very often, it will, it will say that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. If you see that in that little bit up there above verse 1. And who are they? Well, the sons of Korah, they were like the choir or the worship band of the temple. Okay, they were the singers, they were the ones who played the tambourines Uh, in the temple. They were sort of a subset, subgroup of the Levites. So these are the ones who have written this psalm. Interestingly, they are also the ones who wrote Psalms 42 to 49. And if you know anything about those psalms, especially 42 and 43, those psalms tend to be very melancholic. Like, there's just sadness and desperation than those songs, especially 42 and 43. As these temple singers, they are somehow being denied the opportunity to ply their trade. They're not able to sing in the temple. We don't know exactly why. Maybe this is written in the time of exile. Maybe it's during some other kind of invasion or who knows what it is. But they are not able to sing in the temple And so, in those Psalms 42, 43, and onward, there is this fog, this terrible fog of of sadness, of separation. Separation from that which gives them hope and, and meaning and joy, what gives them delight. It's being denied them. And that is, of course, the praise of the Lord in his presence. In Zion. So the sons of Korah are articulating a sentiment that is clearly representative, uh, not just of themselves, but it's also for the whole people. So it's a representative of the king, of, the, of all the citizens, the nation. They're all feeling such profound sorrow and grief. Uh, to use the phrase of Psalm 42, they are uh, cast down with tears being their food day and night. And it's important to understand that that's where they were. And now, out of that, out of being so downcast, it's out of that which Psalm 84 comes. See how it's like a new dawn, a new day, a new year. So that one gets the impression that somehow the fog has, has lifted and there's this new insight. And the interesting thing is, is that there's no indication that the worshipers are back in the temple. But they nonetheless are delighting in the temple of the Lord. And more importantly, in the worship of the Lord. And that worship, that delight that they have is exceedingly great. It's exceedingly great. Delight is expressed here in Psalm 84 in words that if used from any other posture would seem kind of over the top, hyperbolic. Verse 1, it says lovely. That doesn't sound like a very hyperbolic word, but the Hebrew word there is like beloved, dear. It's it's a heart yearning. It's a heart loving uh, depth and like the whole fabric of them loving. And then the longing that's written right after that, uh, my soul longs. It's longing and fainting, fainting desire. That kind of longing. It's sometimes uh, translated as, um, you know, it's like an absolute longing, right? So that as the living God is finally met, There is exceedingly great delight. The the, the psalmist's heart and flesh, he says, his whole being, that is, is rejoicing. The ESV translates that, that, the response is, he's singing for joy. So he's not just singing with his mouth, he's singing with his heart and his flesh. His whole self is singing for joy. The psalmist goes on in verse 3 to even envy the birds, the sparrow and the swallow. Why? Because they can, it seems, fly across whatever chasm has separated them from the temple, and they can light up in the rafters and make their nest there and have their little ones looking out over the Holy of Holies and be forever, constantly in the presence of the Lord. The psalmist clearly would love to be in the actual temple, but he has... Delight nonetheless, even if he's not there. It's as if he has become like the sparrow, like the swallow, as he delights in the Lord, regardless of where he finds himself. He can sing for joy and know that Zion, the place where God dwells with his people, is not merely a certain place in Jerusalem, but it is a condition of his heart. Delight in the Lord does not depend on restoration, it would seem, of one's fortunes. Verse 11, uh, he says, like, you know, just to be on the threshold, just to be a doorman in the temple of the Lord, that so far exceeds the greatness of any other thing. Every other thing in comparison would seem like wickedness, like, like nothing. A thousand days in those places is nothing compared to one day on the doorstep. That's exceedingly great delight, to be sure. But what seems to have happened in the heart of of this worshiper is that he has found his way into the presence of the Lord regardless of where he actually is standing, and that's the really important point. And so what we find is it's not just that it's exceedingly great delight, but that it is delight that is always possible. He can always have the same kind of delight. His delight in the Lord is durable, it's transferable, you might say. To dwell in God's house isn't about a particular address, but rather the, the condition of his heart, like I said. Okay? So verses four and five, we have these beatitudes, these blessed things, right? Where the psalmist declares uh, in the Coverdale translation that we read in the bulletin, uh, it says, Blessed are they who dwell in your house, they will be always praising you. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you, and whose heart, Are your ways, right? So the house is about really not the place, but the person of God. It's in you and it's in my heart that I have your ways. And then in this uh, ESV translation, what are those ways? Well, the ways, the way that it's translated in the ESV is highways, highways to Zion. The psalmist may be in a terrible place, actually. Verse 6 would certainly indicate that. And yet in his heart, he has a way. And it's not a rugged, difficult path, like some rocky path on the edge of a cliff, but a well-paved, clear highway right into the very presence of the Lord, Zion. And that's a delightful thing, don't you think? That's a delightful thing that will withstand anything. It will give strength even in the midst of the most difficult times. And that's what he's writing about in verse 6, that he's got that going on. He says, even in the valley of Bacha, which that name is synonymous with uh, misery, a parched, arid, dry, desolate, devastating desert it's a place of death that's what the valley of Bacchae is and even in a place of misery like that the one who delights in the Lord we read has springs and pools welling up and the word pools in the Hebrew actually has all the same consonant as the word blessings So these are blessings welling up, great pools of blessings, delighting in the Lord in these pools of blessings, even as the surrounding terrain looks more like a wilderness of curse. It's like an oasis. That kind of delight is clearly always possible. And out of pools like these that the psalmist describes, Life can come, expansion, um, growth, green growth even. I was talking to a a person at the previous service. He had served over in the Middle East during uh, the Gulf War, and he talked about being out in the desert, and they had a rain cloud come over. It rained, he said, for maybe 30 minutes, and then instantly all around them was all of this green life that they didn't know was there. All of a sudden, it burst forth. And so... Not only is it exceedingly great and always possible, this kind of delight that we find here actually is ever-expanding. It is flourishing. Verse 7, it, it, it's going from strength to strength. And as one delights in the Lord, as the psalmist describes in verse 11, we read, he or she lacks no good thing. The one who trusts in the Lord is blessed with even more blessings and blessedness. And it's this. I think this is what Jesus, maybe he was even thinking back to this very psalm as he met with the woman at the well that we read about, that Samaritan woman in in John 4. And you remember what he says? uh, Verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a... Mark that, in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I mean, how delightful does that sound, friends? Here's the psalmist living in some kind of valley of misery, yet who is still delighting in the midst of that. And somehow, even in the midst of it, he's transported, he's strengthened, Verse 11, he regards himself as one who has had favor and honor bestowed upon him by the mere fact that he can live and move and praise and worship in the presence of the Lord, his God, no matter where he is. And he becomes like a precursor to those three wise men that we just read about who were beaming with exceeding great joy at the prospect of worshiping this newborn king, right? And and I have to say, I don't know if you made it last week to our Christmas pageant, but we had that in spades with our three kings, our three wise men, who I've said probably needed to have been called the three wise guys because it was Patrick's son, Judah, Ryan Thompson's son, Judah, and my son, Bo, that were the three wise men. And if you know those guys this story is going to amaze you. So they start singing, We Three Kings of Orient Are, and they start, they're supposed to, the first one's supposed to walk down and place his gift before the baby Jesus over here. And the first one comes down, he's supposed to place his gift, bow down and worship, and then get up and move over to the side for the next king to come down. Only the first one didn't stop, he just stayed like this. And then the next one came down and placed his gift beside that one, and he bowed down and worshiped and he stayed there. And then the third one came down and placed his gift. And he bowed down. And, there were, and again, if you know those three wise guys, the fact that they stayed still, worshiping before the presence of the Lord. And that's the posture. That's the delight in us. And what happens, the expansion of that delight is so amazing, is that it actually causes us to delight in lots of other things. Some things that aren't so great. We see the green blossoms and things, even in the midst of desert stuff, hard stuff. I was just recently listening to a book called Tattoos on the Heart. It's by a a Jesuit priest who is a... priest at at the poorest church in the Diocese of Los Angeles in South Central LA. And so he worked among uh, gangs and and, um, some of the poorest, most desperate people you can imagine. And so this book is all full of stories and anecdotes of his ministry there. And he started an organization called uh, Homeboy Industries, which helps these young people, men and women, come out of the gang life and into jobs and to get, like, tattoo removals and, and, and all kinds of amazing things that he's doing. And he's telling all these stories. And one of the stories he tells is of a guy named Spider. That's not his real name, just by the way. And Spider was in the gangs and came through Homeboy Industries and got a job as an orderly in a hospital. And uh, he lived in an apartment... I don't know, seven bus rides away. He was not even 19 when this story being told. And uh, he and his sister had grown up as orphans. Their parents had abandoned them way early, and somehow they hoodwinked the housing authority into thinking there was a grown adult in the house, and there never was. And They had to raise themselves. Anyway, finally he gets this job. He's an orderly, you know, moving patients around at a hospital. And, and Father Greg Boyle, the author of this book, he sees Spider waiting at his bus stop, and he says, hey, man, jump in, I'll give you a ride home. And as they're riding home uh, to this young man's apartment where he, that he shares with his girlfriend and his two little uh, baby boys, he says this to Father Greg. He says, you know what I'm going to do when I get home right now? I'm going to sit down to eat with my lady and my two moritos, but, well, I don't eat. I just watch them eat. My lady, she gets crazy with me, but I don't care. I just watch them eat. They eat and eat. And I just look at them and thank God they're in my life. When they're done eating and I know they're full, then I eat. And the truth, sometimes there's food left and sometimes there isn't. Tu sabes, you know, it's a father thing. And Father Greg goes on and writes, the duty... To delight is to stare at your family as they eat, anchored in the surest kind of gratitude. The sort that erases sacrifice and hardship and absorbs everything else. Here's this young man who's missing meals and it doesn't feel like the least bit of a sacrifice to him. Why? He's so full of gratitude, delight in the Lord, thankful unto God for the blessings, the pools of blessings in his life, these beloved children and his beloved uh, uh, woman in his life. And so as I begin 2020, delight is what I desire. But I'm not going to somehow muster it up I can't resolve to have delight this year. That can't be my New Year's resolution, right? The final point of this sermon is the most crucial. You've got to hear this, friends. This is really important. And that is this. Our delight It only comes, like this true delight that I'm talking about, it only comes when it comes directly from the one who delights in us even more exceedingly than we could ever delight in him. And I think St. Paul, he got this. I mean, man, talk about a guy who endured hardships. And yet he delighted, rejoiced in all things. And he wrote to the Ephesians um, these words. And you see, We who follow Jesus, we have the very presence of God here. He is Emmanuel, right? That's what this whole season has been about. He is God with us. And more than that, he's given us his spirit that he might dwell in our hearts, right? The well that he was talking about, the springs of living water are in us. We have the delight of God, though, in him. When we look to Jesus, we see how much God delights in us, how much he loves us, that he would send his only son and that that son would see us and go, I am willing to die for them, and he did. Just listen to the pools of blessing and delight that Paul describes in these verses from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. It's like Psalm 84 with a bonus delight, that being the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God himself. He says this. He says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world.'" That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. My Beloved, I delight in you. I do. And may we in this coming year have the delight of the Lord God right here and just well up in us. This delight that's exceedingly great, always possible no matter what, and ever expanding. Amen.